0: Thank you. Can you remember where you were 20 years ago? Very strangely, I can, because always the first Tuesday in November is the U.S. election. And on the Thursday, I was the U.S. editor at The Economist. And back in 2000, we were gathered there staring at three covers in front of us as Thursday evening wore on. And one said, congratulations to George W. Bush. The next one said, welcome to President Al Gore. And the last said, we don't know, Florida's still counting. And we waited and waited. And eventually we pushed the button on the Florida, we're still waiting cover. And as we did so we thought this is, this is wrong. What's gonna happen is that America, which is the most dynamic sort of brilliant country on the planet will rapidly decide who is their president. And what will come of it is that we will look, our cover will look old and dated on the newsstands. But there we were again, a week later, another Thursday, another Thursday waiting up. And again, we had to push the button on don't know and the next Thursday and the next Thursday and so on until mid December where finally the Supreme Court came out and said that George W. Bush had become President of America. And back then we all said, this will never happen again. We will never live through this strange process of hanging chads and all these strange things and waiting for court decisions. Well, here we are again, for what it's worth. My guess is that Joe Biden will indeed in the end end up winning this race, but only after some degree of court challenges. And it's really been a terrible year for America and American government in particular. You had COVID where America has bust through 700 cases for every million inhabitants. Very few people have hit that level. They had 100,000 cases yesterday. They've lost more people than in all the wars since the Second World War already. You've had the George Floyd protests and what happened to him and the challenge of racist policing. And now you have this mess of an election. It seems to many people strange that the casinos in Nevada can rapidly count in a matter of seconds, the chips on your table. but It takes public sector workers several days to wade their way through paper ballots. It's a strange world. And many of you will say, okay, America's had its problems but there is an obvious reason for them. And if I'm right about who's won the election he is about to disappear. Well, my answer to that is, that's not right. Donald Trump has made a whole series of mistakes, but if you look at the things I have just said, he's not necessarily the cause of them. Donald Trump, by all means, did not do a good job with COVID, he was late onto it, he offered erratic advice, but all the same, the root cause of this is America has a public health system that is aimed at the old and the rich, and not the poor in any pandemic was bound to expose that weakness. Or look at racist policing. Maybe Donald Trump hasn't helped there, but I covered the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles 30 years ago. Racist policing was not invented by Ronald Trump. Or look at the mess to do with partisan politics and the rancor in Washington. Well, behind me, there's a book called The Second Civil War, how extreme partisanship has paralyzed Washington. That was published back in 2007 when Donald Trump was just a reality TV show. Trump is a symptom of the West's problems, not the cause. And I would say exactly the same about Britain. We too, sadly, are one of the few countries that have pushed through that level of 700 deaths for every million inhabitants. And a lot of this is to blame on Boris Johnson. He again, like Trump, was late into it. He too has selected a cabinet based on personal loyalty rather than competence. Why, for instance, did you not call on Jeremy Hunt who knew a few things about health? So there are many things you can leave at Joris Johnson's door, but all the same, many of the biggest decisions were taken by the Health Service and Public Health England. It was them who made the crucial decision to forbid testing happening, or only allow testing at public laboratories, not allowing private laboratories countries like Germany did. The NHS has many brave people in it, but it's still an organisation of a million people, the biggest organisation in the whole of Europe. Altogether, our government has not handled this crisis well. So our argument is that something more profound is happening here, something bigger has happened in 2020. Our book is called The Wake Up Call, And it makes the point that if the West has to open its eyes to what exactly has happened, I think the key point is that government matters, matters much more than we thought it did. In this particular case, crisis, COVID, it has been the difference between living and dying. Earlier, I've already said, Britain and America, we've gone over 700 deaths for every million people. You Look at other countries, they've done much better. Germany is around 130, that's six times better. You go out to East Asia, though, and you see really dramatic differences. Places like Japan, South Korea, Singapore, Taiwan, they're around the 30, 40, 50 deaths per million. They're 20 times better than us at doing it. Taiwan has not had a single virus case for 200 days. On one day recently, beginning of October, the Trump White House alone had more COVID cases than some Asian countries did. Now, my point is that these are staggering differences. Most of you I assume work in the private sector. In the private sector, if a rival company anywhere in the world has a product that is say 20% better than yours, you go out of business very quickly. You have to copy it or you do go out of business. By contrast, in the public sector, I just explained why other governments are doing things 20 times better than we're doing, and we still can't learn from it. And that really is the core of what we have to do now because it's not just to do with getting better service for our own citizens, it's also about a competition. Look at China. China claims a number of three deaths for every million people. Well, I'm not quite sure I believe that wholly, but imagine for the sake of argument that they're hiding nine in 10 deaths. Well, you can multiply that number up to 30 deaths per million. That would still mean over 20, 25 times better at dealing with COVID, at better at protecting their citizens than we've been or America. America has been massively outfought by its main geopolitical rival. And that I think really marks a historical point. And that history in some ways begins a long time ago. If you go back to 1653, when Thomas Hobbes wrote what I would argue is the first great book about Western government, Leviathan, 1653, back then, China was the undoubted superpower, quarter of the world's economy, by far the world's best civil service. We got the word mandarins from that system of canals, roads, all those things. It was building these things and we were left behind. We were a sort of bloody archipelago at the other end of Eurasia. Yes, China had its civil wars sometimes, but not on our level. There were only three years in the 17th century when Europe did not have war of some kind. But we, for lack of a better word, fought back. We read Hobbes, we read Locke, we read Mill, later read The Webs. We kept on building and competing with each other. The British competed with the French and the Spanish and each competed with the other. When the Chinese invented gunpowder, they used it for fireworks, appropriate tonight. We used it to try and blow the French out of the water and the French tried to use tried to blow us out of the water. And even when we weren't being sort of bloody in that competition, we were later coming up with ideas like pensions and all the different services that governments could do. We wanted our governments to be better than our rivals. It's a key reason why we went ahead and America joined this sort of race too. And eventually by the 1960s, we had a complete reversal. Back then, the Americans were dreaming of putting a man on the moon. In contrast, the Chinese, millions of them were dying of starvation. The West had won the battle for government. And ever since then, a new pattern has emerged. On the one hand in the West, you look back in the 1960s, it was the last time when the public sector and the private sector offered the same kind of salaries. It's the last time when we really trusted government. In America, three-quarters of Americans in the 1960s trusted Washington to do the right thing. Now it's a slither of that proportion. So last time that the elite, I would argue, the best and the brightest, went to Washington and Westminster. Ever since then, that has stopped. We've had successes. I'm not going to deny that. We won the Cold War. There was what Reagan and Thatcher did. There's been some things have gone, have been interesting, have been part of that race for government. But on the whole, what has happened is that government has got much bigger without getting much better. It's trusted far less. It feels overwrought. Go and look at what's happening in Asia, by contrast, and they have been moving in a much more interesting direction. It began, we would argue, in Singapore. There Lee Kuan Yew, somewhat controversial figure, still set about using ideas that have been invested, invented in the in the West. To try and turn Singapore into a more efficient government and he focused on the services being good. So therefore if you are at the top of the civil service, you get in, you, you get in Singapore, you get paid a million dollars uh, a year. By contrast, if you're a bad teacher, you get thrown out. Whereas in the West we have this rather awkward difference with on the one hand the right tending to think the only answer to do with government is to make it smaller and smaller and smaller to the point it can be drowned in a bathtub, as one Republican commentator put it in America. On the other side, the left is unwilling to reform the public sector because of its ties with the public sector unions. Places in Asia, they have seen what Lee Kuan Yew did and they've copied it. This is the system that South Korea, it's the system that Taiwan, all these people, and now China, are beginning to copy it. And you can see it in the rankings. You can see it when you look at who comes top of the the various rankings that show who has the best schools in the world, the longest life expectancy, most efficient health services, the newest infrastructure, the smartest airports. They're all coming from one particular area of the world and it is not us. So I would submit that what has happened with COVID is not a fluke. It's a bit like an examination Covid was like this test suddenly given to governments across the world, and like most surprise tests, in some cases some people uh, managed to sort of do well. You look at Greece, unexpectedly very successful, probably because they had a very good prime minister. By contrast, on the whole, though, most of the people you would expect to do well when it came to a governmental challenge. They're the ones who did well, they're the ones in Asia, and the ones who have not paid any attention to government, like us, are the ones which have got left behind. So, what do we do about this? I think it is incredibly important. When people look back at this year, they will not care that much about this election. They will not, forgive me, care that much about Brexit. If they think that Asia has, this is the year when Asia went past the West, That, they will think, is the most important thing about 2020. And that will only happen if we don't wake up. So what should we do? Let's get rid of a couple of bad ideas about how we could wake up. One is simply to get more autocratic. You can see why people jump to this conclusion. They look at the way that the world's most famous autocracy, China, has done much better than the world's most famous democracy, the United States, and they assume that autocracy is part of the answer. It isn't. Most autocracies have done very badly at this. Look at Russia, you wouldn't have wanted to be there during Covid, you wouldn't have wanted to be in Iran either, and you certainly wouldn't have wanted to be in North Korea. By contrast, it's places like East Asian democracies I mentioned, it's places like New Zealand, it's places like Germany and Australia that you would want to be when this happened. And really, we must get out of our heads that it's just an answer about doing it in a stricter way. Look at Seoul, the capital of South Korea. Look at London and look at New York. They're three huge cities. Seoul is actually a little bit bigger than London or New York. Look at the casualties from COVID. In London, it's 6,000. In America, New York, it's 25,000. In Seoul, it's 50 to 60 people. And Seoul is not a uniform place. It is the home of Parasite that won the Oscar this year. It's the home of many of the world's biggest nightclubs, it's the home of K-pop, it's a big sprawling city with subways with the whole caboodle of modern citydom. They just did it by getting things like test and trace rate. So the answer is not autocracy, it's just competence, understanding it. The second false answer I think is just simply to make government bigger. You hear that quite a lot on the left at the moment, spend more money, when in some cases that's justified but in most it's not. If you look at the history of governments, as I said, since the 1960s, it's been a very clear path. The West has kept on making government bigger without making it better. The People on the other side, on, in Asia, what they've focused on doing is making governments smarter. So what are we going to do about this? I think the main answer is just simply to copy what works. That's what people do in the private sector, is what we should do in the public sector. And in the wake up call, our book, we invent a fictional president And we give him the job that maybe Joe Biden will soon have, which is to reform America. Now, we could have used a composite, say, of Jacinda Ahern from New Zealand and Angela Merkel from Germany. But actually, we reach back into the 19th century, because that was the last time when there was a real attempt to cleanse government and to target it more fully towards those who needed it. We pulled William Gladstone, um, the, the, the four times prime minister of Britain and Abraham Lincoln from America, and we pushed them together into one Frankenstein monster called President Bill Lincoln. And we set him the task of trying to reform America. of trying to direct American government to where it's needed, and getting rid of all the corruption and boondoggles for the rich. And we set him only one parameter. We said that President Bill Lincoln cannot, can only use what works elsewhere. He can't invent something new. He simply has to copy what is good elsewhere. We come up with a list of a dozen things that you could do in America that would transform it. Some of them push us to the left. For instance, we would definitely introduce healthcare cover for all. We would do it not by copying the British model, but by copying the German, the Canadian, or the Singaporean, because we think that offers better value. And we argue for this national health service of a sort, because we think, firstly, it's morally right. We think it's wrong that people should live in such anxiety. But secondly, we think it would actually save America money. If you look at American healthcare, the dirty secret is American public healthcare, leave aside the billions it spends on private healthcare, public healthcare is more expensive per head than supposedly socialist Sweden. It's such a muddle, it's such a mess that they spend a lot of money unnecessarily. What else would we do? President Bill Lincoln would get rid of all the tax breaks and the exemptions and all the stuff that Washington has accumulated, there is $1.6 trillion worth of exemptions in the American tax code. Get rid of it, turn the money to the poor. At the moment, nine out of 10 Americans ludicrously have to employ an accountant to deal with their taxes because they're so hard to understand. Simplification was one of the original William Gladstone great aims. Another thing we recommend is give more power to the cities That's where good government is nowadays. Margaret Thatcher's big mistakes was to stop the devolution of power to cities. You would redesign education. As we pointed out, Singapore is very good at getting rid of bad teachers and giving more money to good teachers. That's the same in all the countries that do well in these league tables. So we would do that to be sure. But also, if you look at America's system, yet another sign of the problems, the lack of attention to government, The school calendar is set in the agricultural era. What happens is they have incredibly long summer holidays. And the reason for this is that the children of America supposedly have to go and help on the harvest during those long summer months, which seems strange in cities like Los Angeles and New York. Now you can read our list of suggestions and solutions for Bill Lincoln for America in our book. And we also have a list for Britain But one thing stands out about both Britain and America, which I thought was worth mentioning. In both cases, we recommend that we think there should be some version of national service of a non-military sort. We think that young people should go and work in public service for one year, say, before they're 25. Now, that may come as a shock to many people in this audience, who I suspect most of whom have been to, uh, to, to university and most of whom work in the private sector. But we think it is important, and you can already see people like Macron in France, you can see the South Koreans looking at it, and it's important for two reasons, this idea of public service. The first is that the the public sector desperately needs talent. You only have to walk into the IT department, pretty much any government department in either Britain or America, and you discover a lot of old kit, and to be honest, a lot of old people looking after it. In America, I think there are five times as many people over 60 looking after IT in the federal government than there are under 30. So rejuvenate, bring in that talent. But the other reason we think is to bond together people who have been to university with those that have not. That is something, again, that national service, and again, we're saying it doesn't have to be military. That is another aim that we would hope to do this. So reforming government is possible, we argue, in the wake-up call, and it would bring a lot of good, more than just improving the public sector. That does not mean it's easy, but if you care about liberty, if you care about the freedom that has underlined our democracies, then you should take an interest. And especially here, because if you look at the history of government, then one place has been responsible for an outlandish number of the ideas that have steered the history of government throughout the world, and that is here. From Thomas Hobbes all the way through to Margaret Thatcher. And whatever you think of Brexit, whichever side of that argument you were, Britain needs to think about government once again to be in the vanguard of change again. So that's the aim of our book, to start a debate, to prompt thought about that. I don't know whether in another five or six Thursday, my successors at The Economist will be sitting there waiting for someone still to become president or not. I really hope it is solved before then. But I can tell you this, that if the West is still asleep in another 20 years, then leadership will have surely passed to Asia, not here. So from that perspective, whoever wins the White House, wish him luck and hope that he is awake. Thank you very much.